Before uh, we uh, jump into our sermon this morning, if you would do me the favor, um, I know many of you have been coming over the last few months or weeks, and, and I'd, I'd love to get connected, but somehow I, as I look into our, our information, I don't have everyone's information. And so I, I'm just asking if you would take out your family news bulletin. If you have never signed that welcome card, would you please fill that welcome card out? And then put on there like how long you've been coming and a little bit of information like that. Because I'd love to make sure that you're getting information from the church, you're connected to the body, and that I can maybe give you a call and just con- maybe connect with you sometime over the next few months. Just get together. Um, no, no pressure. I just want to make sure that if you're a part of this body, I know in the, early in the morning, earlier this morning, I say, you know, fill out your welcome cards. But a lot of people, when I say that, there are about nine people in the room. So many times, not everyone hears it. So if you would take the time to please fill that out, I would really, really appreciate it. Also, um, over the last, last year, 2010, really challenging time for a lot of people financially. And uh, we've invested in a lot of lives and we're excited about that. We as a church, 2000, the end of 2010 was really, really strong. We continue to grow numerically in the church and also the giving. Um, we ended up over budget this year when it comes to just meeting the on-paper budget, which was really good. We're in the black, which is really good. We're really healthy, which is really good. Um, but what's continuing to happen is there are people within the body of Christ and these are people who are part of our body, who serve in our body, who are, you know, have been here for a while. They're struggling and there's a lot of stress in their lives because they're struggling. And it may be 200 or 500 or a thousand dollars they've gotten behind because they're out of work for 12 weeks or whatever the case may be. And they're willing to serve here at the church, but they're just falling a little bit behind and it's a lot of stress on them. And for some people, a couple of hundred dollars means very little. For other people, it keeps them awake all night because they're wondering, how am I going to to catch up. I'm, I'm trying to catch up, but I can't get caught up. And, uh, and one of the things we talk about being a global community and people say, what does it mean to be a global community? Does that mean people in Africa? Sure it does. But what it means first and foremost is the people right here in this body of Christ. We take care of the people here first. Then we go on to our community. Then we go on to our nation and we go on to our world. So I really want to encourage you to continue to give. Don't think, oh, we're doing great. Um, we will, if, if we don't continue to give, we'll very quickly go through our reserves and then I'll be back up here saying, Hey, we're kind of struggling. Uh, I don't even want to talk about that this year. Um, I want to move forward and do the things that God has called us to do. And we will do those things. But this morning, if you want to just keep, keep in mind people who are struggling. And if you want to write on it, if you want to give a little extra and write on there, elders fund, um, we'll make sure that the people within the body of Christ here, their needs are being taken care of. Um, you know, I know the difference between uh, giving people, just giving out money to people who come and ask for it and giving out money to people within this body. And I feel like as a church, we need to take care of those in our own body first. Okay. And then from there, we go on to take care of the needs of others. So let's make sure that there's nobody in our church who is laying in bed at night, really overwhelmed by the fact that they can't catch up on five or $600. And there's probably two or three or four different groups of families that are struggling um, and I want to make sure we meet their needs because they are an intimate part of our body. And I want to make sure that they're not struggling and feeling that way. All right. When I was in college at Nyack in New York, uh, the professor read Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. And, he, and he, you know, thou shalt not kill. 
and he threw out this moral dilemma to us. And I'll explain the moral dilemma, and I'll be a little nicer in language than he was because we were in a group of college students, and there's some children here too. But he said, all right, you're sitting at home with your wife. And now these are mostly, again, college students. There's only two people married in the class, myself and one other person. So there's 50, 60 people in the class that here's the moral dilemma. You're sitting in your house, minding your own business, watching TV, and a guy breaks in, and he has a gun, and he ties you up, and then he's going to harm your wife, and then he's going to kill your wife. Um, and he puts the gun down, and you, you kind of get loose. Some people would snap the ropes, you know, you know and other people would get their ropes, ropes loose, by the, you know, whatever the case may be. But you get loose, and you and the bad guy, whatever, jump for the gun at the same time. You get the gun first, and either he's going to kill you and your wife, or you kill him. And I'll be honest with you, I, I was sitting there thinking, uh, is this a trick question? Um, first and foremost, because I'm saying, that's not really a moral dilemma to me. Uh, I raised my hand and I said, I'd shoot him, you know, pray for him real quick and shoot him. That's what I do. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, I, and the, I, I said, I very, I said, boom, you know, now, honestly, if that happened to me in real life, what I would try to do is scare the person off or whatever the case, I would never want to harm someone in any way, but in defending my own family, I'm going to shoot the person. And the only other person in the class that they would shoot the person was the guy, the guy who was married. Everybody else had this, all these deep theological reasons why they wouldn't do it. And I'm thinking to myself, hey, brother, didn't you cheat off? I didn't say this out loud. Cheat off that guy's paper in the class before this. So you cheat off that person's paper, but you wouldn't defend your family. It's moral dilemma. I mean, there were, you go through and you're, you're thinking about, you know, what does it mean? Thou shalt not kill. We're, in, we're, we're continuing our series for two more weeks in the Ten Commandments. And we're on the sixth. Thou shalt not kill. Now, for, for a lot of people, um, you know, this is pretty much if you're, you know, you're thinking about this is pretty face, face value. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty much a straightforward kind of commandment. You know, you shouldn't kill anybody. I get it. Uh, no big deal. If you ask people on the street to name the Ten Commandments, they get through maybe four or five of them if they were lucky. But one of the ones that they would get would be this one. This one they would get. Thou shalt not kill. You should not kill. Who would disagree with that? Um, we can pretty much, if that's the case, just uh, you know, skip over this one because this really, let's be honest, this really doesn't apply to most of us. This whole concept of, you know, it's not really, it's not really a temptation for me or for, for you uh, to, to, uh, to really struggle over who I'm going to kill and who I'm not going to kill. This would be a better sermon preached in one of those prisons they show on TV sometimes where all the guys are like really, they're gigantic and they, you know, whatever, they have to keep them in chains. They'd be better off maybe preaching, me preaching the sermon there than in Mason because we don't have that problem here. That's not really an issue that we have. We're not killers, right? I mean, you know. So that's scary. <laughs> I'm like, well, someone like had this laugh and woohoo, scary. <laughs> well, you certainly wouldn't kill me, right? Right there, you go. Now that wasn't that wasn't. I, I'm still not feeling too comfortable here, so I'm gonna I'm going to continue to preach. Then um, the Bible is totally against killing, except when it calls for it. Totally against it, except when it calls for it. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, there is a time to kill. So what is it here then? It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? I mean, this, you know, it's, either, it's either wrong or completely wrong, or is it, it's always wrong. Or is, it, is it always wrong or not, I guess is the question. 
But the Israelites were at times instructed by God to wipe out their enemies. God said, wipe them all out. In the Israelite community, there were, there were capital, there was capital punishment for those who, who, who behaved in a certain way or did certain things. One would be murdering someone and you would be put to death for that or child sacrifice or, or um, giving false testimony in a capital case where someone else's life was on the line. You go in and lie. And that's just a couple. There are, there's, there are, there are lists, okay, of, of activities that a person could engage in that would call for capital punishment. So all this raises the point that maybe not killing is a little more complicated than originally thought. This becomes a little more complicated. If I, let me give you an example. If I asked everyone in the room, you don't have to raise your hand, but if I said, you know, who's, who's against war? Who's against all kinds of war, whatever, war in general? Maybe a few people raise their hands. What if I said, you know, who's against abortion? A lot of people would raise their hand. If I said, you know, who's against um, capital punishment? You know, a lot of people would, uh, would either raise their hand or other people would feel like, no, I think that's okay. And, you know, I've actually changed my position on that over, over time because of the, the just, unjustly, people being unjustly accused and, and put to death. Um, so, I mean, we would, we would be basically going through here. If I asked that question, who's against abortion, who's against war, who's against this? So you'd have a mixed, a mixed reaction in this room, a mixed reaction. Thou shalt not kill is not so simple. Now, scholars point out that the Hebrew word often translated kill is more closely translated or, or closely related to the word murder. Okay, so when it talks about Exodus chapter 20, we're talking about here, that word, when it talks about killing, it's really a more, a better translation of that word is you shall not murder. Most newer translations, including the NIV, which I'll be speaking from or are reading from this morning, says you shall not murder. Okay, um, what we call legal killing people who are put to death for, for crimes and those kinds of things, are not really covered under this commandment. So we begin to get narrowed down. It begins to get narrowed down to a command that really is dealing with unjustly kill, in, killing an innocent person. There's unjust killing of individuals. Now, I don't think many of us would disagree with that. You know, our society really cannot function properly if people don't feel secure in the fact that they're not going to be indiscriminate or just, you know, just indiscriminately killed. How do you function as a society if, if, if you don't feel security in the fact that you're going to be able to go out and live a normal life without someone indiscriminately killing you? People can't just murder other people because they're angry. People can't just murder other people because they didn't like what someone said and hurt their feelings. But, but, but even if we understand this as you shall not murder, then the question comes up, what is murder? What is defined? What is the definition of murder? Is it murder when you are, you are defending your own life? Is self-defense, if you're in self-defense, if you end up killing someone, is that murder under this commandment? Is, is defending the life of someone else? You're on a bus and someone gets on with a gun and you're protecting a school bus full of children. And, you're, and so you end up shooting that person and killing that person to protect the children or your family, whatever the case may be. You already know my, my view on that. But is, 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 that, is that murder? And if you, limit, if you limit murder 
to, to, by definition, to individual killing, if legal killing is not included in this commandment, then what are, if we start looking at things like the Holocaust, where the government of Germany, that was a law, they passed, that was okay. So that was lawful for them to go around and kill the Jews or the, the, the people in Poland or those kinds of places. That was legal there. Is that then permissible because it's legal? The government made it legal. So, you know, that if legal killings don't fall under the category, then, you know, what, you know how do we deal with that? The, really, the answer to that is just because just because somebody in authority decides it's okay to kill a bunch of people doesn't make it right. In the 20th century, millions of people were put to death by governments and dictators, which was completely wrong. They murdered those people. All there, there are all kinds of issues that our society is going to have to wrestle with when dealing with this commandment. All, all kinds of issues. Capital punishment, and what about war, and what about abortion, and what about suicide, and, 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 and what, about, what about euthanasia? You know, it's, it's, it's going to keep coming. It's going to keep coming. And then you start thinking, you know, you watch the news, or you, you look at certain people, you know certain people, and they will stand up and say, all war is wrong. It is wrong. It's murder. You're killing other people. That's completely wrong. But they will defend vehemently all forms of abortion. They don't have any problem with, with the, the, the taking the life of children in any form. Abortion, partial birth, abortion, doesn't matter. They have no issue with that. They have all kinds of issues with, with war and all the unrighteous wars that are going on from their perspective. And so you're struggling with, you're struggling with this. You try to understand, well, maybe it would help us if we looked at this commandment from a different angle. I like to kind of turn things around. What if we looked at it from a different angle? Instead of, instead, of being, instead of viewing this from a negative, you shall not murder, what if we looked at it from the positive, you shall have reverence for life? Instead of taking the negative, you shall not, what if we looked at it from the positive, you shall, you shall have reverence for life. You shall love and cherish and encourage and protect and respect and, and, have, have, and see life as sacred? What if we looked at it from that standpoint, that we looked at all of life and we said we need to reverence life, have a reverence for life. We need to have a love for life. We need to cherish life. We need to encourage life. All life is sacred. What if we looked at it from that perspective? In other, in other words, what if we looked at it from Jesus' perspective? Because you look at that commandment, you say, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder. And most of us would basically right now, some people have gone to sleep a little bit in their minds because they know they're not leaving here today after church and going to kill somebody. You know, it's not pretty much going to happen in their lifetime. They're not murderers. They're not going to kill anyone. So you kind of turn your mind off. Well, turn your mind back on because our favorite person just entered the picture, Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes around and does what Jesus normally does. He takes things where people say, I got this one down, no problem, and turns it all around. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, he says this. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which means empty headed. I mean, I don't know what terminology we could use now. We all have, we all, you know, 
we all have words that we would use to call someone empty-headed, uh, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Uh, here he goes. Jesus now takes us to a whole different level. He goes where he always goes. He goes to the attitude and he goes to the heart. He goes to the heart of the matter, to the motives, to what are the, what are the motives? What are the attitudes? It's, listen, it's beyond a, 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 a literal um, conformity to the rules. Jesus is going beyond a literal conformity to the rules. Thou shall not, you shall not murder. He's going beyond that literal conformity to those rules because everyone in this room can hear that. And almost, I would say everyone in the room, I'll just make a blanket statement, is not really going to struggle with the fact that you're physically going to go out and murder someone. But Jesus then goes to the heart. He goes to the attitude. He goes to the motives. See, humans can only see and judge the action itself. Boom. I shot someone, they're murdered, so then I then judge the fact that person killed someone else. That was wrong. I saw that was going on in the outside. That's all I can see. But God, God gets behind the scenes of murder. God gets behind the act of, of murder to, to anger and hatred, which gives rise to murder, and he judges the person's heart. He doesn't just see the action he sees, he sees the attitude. He sees the motive. He sees the heart, and he judges the heart. We may not, and I say we, when I'm using the word we, I'm talking about everyone in general, not just people in this room. We as a culture, we as people, we may not be guilty of an act of murder, but there are a lot of ways, there are a lot of ways that you can kill people. A lot of ways. I'll give you the first one for a couple of examples here. What about a car company? that knows it has safety violations in the car. They figure it out. And instead of recalling the car, they realize that it is cheaper for them to, they go through, their, they go through numbers and they say, well, how many people are going to fall out of the back of the car and die? How many kids will fall out in their car seat and die? Well, about six or eight. How many, if, we, if they all sued us in a, in a suit, how much money would we lose? Well, this much money. How much is it going to, call to take to recall all those cars? Uh, this much money. Uh, let's just, you know, see if it, gets through and no one notices or, you know, they just call it accident or whatever else. Is that not killing? How about BP knowing that it has, that it, it is, is going, is violating certain rules, is violating, uh, ignoring safety procedures. And then you have an ex- giant explosion on a rig and 13 people get killed. If, if you knowingly, uh, uh, you know, just ignored the safety procedures when people are communicating that this is dangerous, this is dangerous. If you knowingly did that, okay, and then people are killed, how often do we, how often do we choose profit or convenience over life? Profit or convenience over life. Maybe the person who has the apartment complex um, ignores the faulty wiring, knows it's there, you ever wonder why a lot of these low-income places just go up in flames a lot of the time in the wintertime, whatever else? A lot of times it's, it's these lower income because the person maybe running that area, they, you know, I, I don't have time. I don't want to spend money on that wiring. How about the person in the factory who's ignoring safety procedures? Because it would have cost so much more to put that piece in to keep people safer. And they, so they just basically ignore those safety procedures. How about in our own lives? Our, our personal choices and behaviors are not always life-giving. We choose, we choose to get behind. We choose to drink, okay, get drunk, and then get behind the wheel of a car. 
Now, we're not, we're not thinking, I'm going to go out and murder someone. But the reality is our choices and our behaviors could have a really negative effect on someone else's life. When, when, again, we, not we as a people here in this room, but when we as a culture ignore people who are in poverty, knowing that they are in poverty, poverty literally kills millions of people a year, and we do absolutely nothing about it, is that not uh, contributing? If a society, as a society, we know all this is going on and we do nothing about it, is that not contributing to the death of other people? Now, we as a church, for example, we know there's poverty all over the world and we do all that we can to the, to our, to the extent that we can do it now to try to alleviate that poverty, whether it's in our own church first, in our community, we have a food pantry. When it's around the world, we try to create businesses and we try to feed people and give them opportunity for jobs and give them fresh water. So we're doing all we can, but there are people all over the world that we can't reach right now. That's, that doesn't mean we're killing them. That's, I'm not saying that we, since we know people in Asia are suffering, we're not doing anything about it. We're doing what we can with the resources that we have and what we know. So, again, the heart is there. But if you know, knowing some of these things are going on, completely ignore it and have just, you know, turn the TV off or ignore what I say sometimes. You close your eyes and we show videos, wherever the case may be. You're not interested in your fellow man whatsoever. That's their tough luck. Let them pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and do nothing about it and justify it in your mind. That's their problem. Are you not then contributing to the suffering of other people? See, This may not be murder, but the way we live does not always protect and encourage and celebrate life either. And isn't that what Jesus is talking about? He's turning this around. He's saying, you know what? Thou shalt not. I'm saying you shall have reverence for life. You shall celebrate life. You shall love your own life and the lives of others. You shall encourage. You shall protect. Those are the things that Jesus is talking about. He turns it around. Jesus is always radical in his thinking. He's radical in his thinking. So, so that's what Jesus is talking about. It's not, this isn't just a matter of, you know, are we or are we not physically killing? He's saying, do we celebrate? Do we have a reverence for it? Do we encourage? You know, do we protect life itself? You know, killing happens in a lot of ways. Killing a person can happen in a lot of ways. But even beyond physical death, There's a lot of dying going on beyond physical. um, I can't breathe any longer. There's a lot of death going on all around us. You know what I call it? I was thinking about this week as I was going through the sermon and and all the the death that goes on around us. And I I call it killing me softly. Killing me softly. I'm not going to go out and murder someone. But, you know, honestly, how many people are inside are being killed softly without anybody, you know, spirits, listen, spirits and hearts can be broken just as easily as bodies can. A person killing a person's spirit and killing a person's heart can happen just as easily as killing a person's body. Our words and our attitudes and our actions can often kill a person internally. The way, what we say, how we act, our actions, our words, our attitudes, and, and that, that of our hearts can, can, can kill a person internally. Ask, ask someone who's gone through severe emotional abuse. Ask someone who's been emotionally or physically abused, severely physically abused. Ask them 
If, they're, if, so, if, if they'll tell you, a lot of times just because someone's breathing on the outside doesn't mean they're still alive on the inside. You know people who are walking around, but they're dead inside. They're dead inside because of some, some abuse that they had taken. Something went on in their lives that basically broke them inside. See, they, 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 couldn't, they couldn't overcome it. They don't really, maybe they don't know Christ or maybe they're not depending on Christ, but they couldn't overcome it. Ask a person, listen, ask a person who's been tortured for years in school. If they're feeling alive, if they're alive inside, ask that person who's who's been tortured by other students year after year after year. Ask them how they're feeling inside. If they're alive, you can see it as they sit there in the class. You can see them just it's almost they're going through the motions emotionally. And then and then you have a situation. There's people who are who wish someone else to be hurt or someone else to be killed or to die. They're wishing that on on, on other people. This is what Jesus is trying to help us understand. Before I go on, is is Lisa here? Can you turn the air off the the heat off in here? At least up here. I see people fanning. I'm starting to get a little warm. Turn all the heat off. We're good. We're good. Um, This is what Jesus is trying to help us understand. He's trying to help us understand that if we wish another person harm or if we wish another person dead, we are violating the spirit of the commandment. If that's in our heart, if that's our motive and in our heart, then we are literally violating the spirit of this commandment. It's what he keeps on trying to explain to us here. If you say, if you have hate in your heart, or you say you fool, there's obviously deeper meaning in all those things. Or if you're attacking someone, then, then, you are, then you have that, you're, you're killing the spirit, you're violating the spirit of this commandment. Why? Why? Because sin starts in the heart. Sin always starts in the heart. No one's getting up tomorrow morning after having a normal day and says to themselves, they look themselves in the mirror, today I'm going to take a gun and go kill someone. Sounds like a good thing to do. Where does that start? It starts, sin starts in the heart where there's bitterness and there's anger and there's hatred and you start thinking it through in your mind and then that, be, that starts to grow and that's what Jesus is talking about. Later in Matthew, Jesus says this to his disciples. Listen, but the things that come out of the person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. Listen, out of the heart, out of the heart, comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Is he not going through the Ten Commandments here pretty much? And what he's saying is these things, where do these things start? They start in the heart of the person. For out of the heart come murder and adultery and and sexual immorality and theft and false testimony and slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. And then talking to the religious leaders. Now, the religious leaders of the day, if you and I saw them, if we were transported back, we saw the religious leaders of the day in their beautiful long robes, clean long robes. They would be considered the spiritual ones. They would be considered the righteous ones. They would be considered the clean ones. 
And so there they are. If we saw them from the outside, we would say, oh, look, they're the religious people. They're the religious folks of their day, right? This is who we're talking about. Then Jesus comes and he speaks to them in Matthew chapter 12 and verses 34 to 37. Listen to what he says. You brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? Wait, time out, time out, time out. They're, they have really pretty robes on. Okay, let's just, did I make that clear? Their robes were really pretty, really expensive. They were nice. They were nice robes. They probably had all kinds of ornament. Maybe they had a big thing here or some kind of metal that would show, you know, some kind of symbol. And, and they walked around there and their shoes were real nice. And they were well, and they, and they walked around. They almost floated on the air. All you other, all you other people out there. They had their, they kept the law. And they had laws around laws and they kept those laws around those laws. And then Jesus comes to him and he says, you brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good for out of the over, listen, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Every time they said, yeah, we got this one covered. Jesus said, no, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. We got this one covered. No, you don't. Why did he say the rich, strong ruler? He said, you know, do this and this and this. And he said, I have done all those since I was born. And Jesus said, go and uh, and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. Then come and follow me. You think Jesus really cared about the fact that he sold all his possessions to the poor and go and follow him? Is that really a part of salvation that I have to sell everything that I own and give it to the poor in order to follow him? No, Jesus is looking at the man's heart. Getting to the heart of the matter. You say you followed all the commandments. All right, let me throw let me throw you. Let me throw the heart, the motive, the attitude of, of the commandments into you and see how you do. Go sell all your possessions and come and follow me. Um, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. The evil man brings evil, uh, brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. But I tell you that, that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Do you really think it's the sound that comes out of my mouth that he's concerned about? Or do you think that it's the attitude of my heart that ends up making those sounds that he's concerned about? It's my motives. You want to drive yourself absolutely nuts? Absolutely nuts. For a week, basically ask yourself, what are my motives? For everything you do, ask yourself, what are my motives? I did it for like a week and four, within four days I was ready to, you know, call it quits because it's a really difficult thing to do when you realize when you even the good things that you do, um, you realize, you know, there's, a, there's some things here that even the good things I do, my motives aren't completely correct. I've shared this with you before and I'll try to remember, I'll try to remember, from, you know, get it from memory here. C.S. Lewis said, people are neither totally sincere or totally hypocritical. Their moods change, their motives are mixed, and they're often themselves quite mistaken as to what their motives are. I love that. Even, even, even if when you're doing something that you consider to be good, you have to ask yourself, why am I doing that? And allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart, to go right to the heart of the matter. It'll help you grow spiritually. So Jesus is looking at these guys and saying, you know what? This is this, what I'm talking about here is a heart issue. I don't care how pretty you look on the outside. Let man judge the outside. I'm going to judge the heart. You know, we were we were going through a series and we're going to go through it again called Conversations with a Happy Heathen. In about three weeks, we're going to go do more conversations with the happy heathen for about a month or so, picking up on the conversation with Anne-Marie and myself that we, where we left off. 
And uh, in that conversa- in conversations with the happy heathen, I, I told you about uh, a famous atheist called Christopher Hitchens. And Christopher Hitchens has no, he wrote a book called God is Not Good. I mean, he is, doesn't, he has no use for God. He has no use for religion of any kind. He has no use, certainly no use for Christians at all. Can't stand them, hates them, whatever words you want to use. Christopher Hitchens just found out that he has cancer a while back, that he has cancer. He's diagnosed with cancer. Um, there have been some discussion as I've kind of reading through this. Um, uh, people saying, I don't, I'm not going to pray for Christopher Hitchens. I don't want to pray for him. They're talking about why we shouldn't pray for Christopher Hitchens. No, why, why, we, why we won't do that. And it is amazing. I'm watching a video this past week. I was going online and looking at a video of Christopher Hitchens talking about his cancer. And he's mocking God while he's talking about his cancer. So he, he has no use for God whatsoever. He's not concerned at all. He's mocking God. So people in some of these articles are saying, you know, they're not going to pray for him. Um, they're hoping basically that he dies. Some people are literally hoping that he dies. He should die, you know. Um, now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I find that very interesting. Why, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, would you not be praying for Christopher Hitchens? You know, I was taught something really early on by my youth pastor and my professors when I was in New York. They said, you know what? You can hate the sin, but you have to love the sinner. You can, you can disagree with what someone does, but you don't hate them. You never hate them. It doesn't matter. Their behavior is one thing, but you as a believer in Christ, you don't hate other people. You can hate their sin, what they're doing, because you believe it harm, it will harm them and keep them away from God, but you love them. The gist of what these people are saying is that Christopher Hitchens is getting what he deserves. They wish him to be dead. They wish they hate him. But doesn't, isn't grace getting what you don't deserve, not getting what you deserve. Isn't that what grace is all about? Doesn't Romans chapter 12 and verse 14 say, bless, bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse. That's, the, that's what I'm reading. Wishing another person dead, being filled with anger and hatred for another person is exactly what Jesus is talking about here when he says you shouldn't call people fool or say raka or all these kinds of things because you will be judged for that. That's what he's talking about here. It's not just way back when, it's right now. We do, this, we do similar things right now. Killing is, killing is not simply a matter of what we do. Killing is a matter of how we think and what we say. It's an attitude of the heart. This is what Jesus is saying. It comes from the heart. It has to do with an attitude of our hearts. That's what he's concerned about. It starts in here. If I hate someone, listen, if I hate someone, then, the, then, then I have the, the spirit of death in my heart, the same spirit that leads to murder. If I hate someone, I have that spirit of death living in my heart. The same spirit... The same attitude that leads to murder. That's what God is sovereign. He knows if you have this attitude, if you continue down this way, then you're not not just physical death, but you're going to destroy someone's life. Your own for sure. You'll destroy your own life, but you may destroy the lives of others as well. Jesus' way is different. It's completely different. He said love. didn't Didn't he say love your enemies? Didn't he say, pray for those who persecute you? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
So there's no question whether we should be praying for Christopher Hitchens and his cancer. We may consider him an enemy in a sense of he disagrees and he's causing people harm by the way he's what he propagates. But Jesus says that we should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Jesus calls us to live abundantly and to nurture the lives of others as well, to invest in the lives of others as well. See, the problem for us is not refraining from murder. This is what we have to, and we're going to talk about this in greater detail in the weeks to come. But our problem this morning is really not refraining from murder. See, what we need to do is, the question is, how do we work to make this world, how do we work, how do we invest to make this world, which is our schools, our homes, the places where we work, our communities, a better place? How do we do that? The person, I mean, how, how then do we invest and nurture the lives of others where we can, change, we can change our communities? We can show the love of Jesus Christ. How do we do that in our workplaces, in our communities, in our homes? How do we make the, here's the question. How do we make them more peaceful, more joyful, more just, more compassionate? How do we make the places that we live every single day? How do we nurture life so that there, they, there's more peace in people's lives? There's more joy in people's lives. We have this reverence for life. How do we do that in our everyday lives? That's what Jesus is concerned about. See, we are commanded to be instruments of God's love. We are, we are commanded by God to, to have an attitude where we are ambassadors of his grace and his mercy and his blessing. That's what we're commanded to do. Jesus calls us to express that love for other people, to love our enemies, to give to those who harm us, to, to not go along and not get that hatred and bitterness built up in our lives, but to do the opposite. What Jesus is expressing here is completely radical, but Everything he expresses is completely radical just about. This is the difference. A religious person goes into their religious church in their religious setting and says, I'm here. Thou shall not murder. Got it. I've done my time here. Now I'm going to leave and go out in the world and live the way I want to live. A person who's a follower of Jesus Christ doesn't just say thou shalt not murder. It is thou you shall have reverence and cherish and protect life. And then the question is, this is the question we need to ask ourselves this morning as we close as a church. How, how do we cherish life? How do we cherish life? We can, one way is that we can carry each other's burdens. I said to you when I first came up, there are people in this church. These aren't lazy people. These aren't sluggards. These aren't people who come with their hands out all the time. These are people within the body who are struggling a little bit and need a little extra help right now. We should carry each other's burdens. You don't think they're burdened when they're up all night worrying about how they're going to cover their costs and that people are calling and how they can affect, how's that going to affect me? We should carry each other's burdens. That shows a reverence for life, to making their life more peaceful, more joyful, showing compassion to others. We can forgive and reconcile with people who we feel have wronged us, who have done things to us, who have offended us. We can, we can show reconciliation. We can have forgiveness for those people in our lives. That's a way that we can, we can reverence, have a reverence for life. We can care for the health and for the hopeless and those who are hurting. We can care for those people. 
We can look at the world around us in our own community and around the world and say, how can we as the body of Christ sacrifice more to make sure that we're meeting their felt needs and their spiritual needs and their emotional needs? We can care for people who are hurting and who are helpless. We can show compassion. Listen, we can show compassion and patience for strangers. You're in the car, you're driving out of here, and that guy cuts you off. Cuts you off. Right? You know what I'm talking about. He cuts you off. Now, what are you going to do? You want to be, you know, what would Jesus do? Jesus would give him a wave. Not, not your kind of wave. Jesus' kind of wave, okay? <laughs> Jesus would give him, and I mean sincere from the heart. You know, the guy cuts you off. He knows he cuts you off and everything. He's expecting some kind of reaction. That would be whatever. And what you do is the opposite. You show patience and compassion to that stranger. You change the environment. Proverbs says a gentle answer turns away wrath. I'm really excited about starting in May. We're going to do a series throughout the summer on, uh, on Proverbs. It's called Wise Up. We're going to go through Proverbs and look at Proverbs. It's going to be fun. It's going to be good. All right. And this is one of the things Proverbs says a gentle answer turns away wrath. So when someone does something to you, you show patience and compassion back. It changes the whole atmosphere. It changes their demeanor. It changes everything about the situation. Maybe we can befriend someone who's lonely. Students, you go back to school. I asked, how can you change your school? How can you show love and compassion and have an have a encouraged life and celebrate life? The person sitting by themselves at the lunch table who has been there for years, who hates going to lunch, who hates going into class because when they go into lunch, they sit by themselves and everybody else just basically walks by and tortures them and just looks at them like they're some kind of leper. They're a modern day leper. Say anything you want. Just because they're not falling apart on the outside, they're falling apart on the inside. If there was a leper in your school, you'd say, how do we help this poor leper? But some kid is sitting there being tortured for years and just walk right by him, ignore him completely. You should have, you shall have reverence for life. You shall cherish the life of the kid who's being tortured. How about you and a couple of your friends have the courage to get up and sit with that person You know what you're going to do? I'm going to tell you something. This is a fact of life. You do that. You stop them from being tortured. You're going to transform their whole life. You're going to change their whole life. And when you're an older guy like me, okay, when you're a grandfather or even before, you're going to look at yourself in the mirror and you're going to remember that. The day you're going to remember about your high school career or junior high career, the day you're going to remember is that day. Everything else will be completely forgotten except for some dopey things that went on in your life. But that day, because you'll look at yourself in the mirror and say, that's who I am. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I spared someone's life. I fulfilled this commandment to show reverence for life, to celebrate the life of someone else who's lonely and hurting. We can extend grace to those who we believe are undeserving. That's what we can do. We can extend grace to a person who we believe is undeserving. In our own minds, we think they're undeserving. The meaning of the sixth commandment is simply this. You shall honor life. You shall respect life. You shall cherish life. You shall encourage life. 
you will protect life. You will have a passion for life and hold the lives of others as valuable as you hold your own. My friends, we can fulfill the law of God. You want to fulfill the law of God? That's how you do it. If we do this, if we live this way, we will fulfill the whole law of God. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. If we will do this, we will fulfill the law. And I'll tell you something else that will happen. We will transform the lives of others. We will see radical transformation in our church. We will see radical, radical transformation in our community, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our workplaces. There will be revival happening in those places because we are taking the truth of Jesus Christ and what this commandment means into the world and seeing literally the Holy Spirit move in people's lives. Do it and watch your spiritual life explode. Let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you so much for this time we can spend together. And God, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who comes and explains your truth to us. As we sit back this morning, maybe coming in thinking, I don't have to deal with this one. I have this one down. Jesus says, you say to us, no, you don't. No, you don't. I know I don't, Lord, and I ask that you'd help me with all of my heart. I ask that you would help me become more like your son, Jesus Christ. As I raise my hands above everyone in this room, I pray, dear God, that you would help them become more like your son, Jesus Christ, that we would not have a heart or motives or attitudes, a spirit that would break this commandment but that you would, you would just, Lord God, move and impress upon our hearts to give us a heart of grace and mercy and compassion to all those around us. And I, I'm not sure who this is for, but I'm going to share what is on my heart, what I feel like the Spirit is speaking to my heart, to someone or some folks in the room. It's time to let go. It's time to let go of the hate. It's time to let go of the bitterness. It's time to let go of the anger. It's killing you. It's killing you. You're dying inside because you're holding on to that which does not belong to you. Lay it at the foot of the cross. Let it go. Let go of the bitterness. Let go of the anger. Let go of the hate. Allow Jesus to deal with those things as he sees fit. Set yourself free this morning. Set yourself free to become the person that God purposed and created you to be. And allow God to deal with that other person. It's not your place. Father, we love you. We give this day to you. We give our lives to you. We pray that we would leave here this morning and live this out in our lives that we would be able to share testimonies of how you're working and affecting our lives and transforming the lives of others. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.